0: Seeing what isn't there. In Philadelphia, there lives a gentle, gracious, grey-haired man, by now in his late 90s, whom Elaine and I have had the pleasure of meeting several times and who is one of the most lovely people we've ever known. Many people have reason to be thankful to him because his work has transformed many lives, rescuing people from depression and other debilitating psychological states. His name is Aaron T. Beck. And he's the founder of one of the most effective forms of psychotherapy yet devised, cognitive behavioral therapy. He discovered it through his work at the Depression Research Clinic he founded in the University of Pennsylvania. He began to detect a pattern among his patients. It had to do with the way they interpreted events. They did so in negative ways that were damaging to their self-respect and fatalistic It was as if they had thought themselves into a condition that one of Beck's most brilliant disciples, Martin Seligman, was later to call learned helplessness. Essentially, they kept telling themselves, I'm a failure, nothing I try ever succeeds, I'm useless, things will never change. They had these thoughts automatically, They were their default reaction to anything that went wrong in their lives. But Beck found that if they became conscious of these thoughts, saw how unjustified they were, developed different and more realistic thought patterns, they could, in effect, cure themselves. This also turns out to be a revelatory way of understanding the key episode of our parashah, namely the story of the spies. Recall what happened. Moses sent 12 men to spy out the land. The men were leaders, princes of their tribe, people of distinction, yet 10 of them came back with a demoralizing report. The land, they said, is indeed good. It does flow with milk and honey, but the people are strong. The cities are large and well fortified. Caleb tried to calm the people. We can do it. But the ten said it could not be done. The people are stronger than we are. They are giants. We are grasshoppers. And so the terrible event happened. The people lost heart. If only they said we had died in Egypt. Let's choose a leader and go back. God became angry. Moses pleaded for mercy. God relented. But insisted that none of that generation, with the sole exception of the two dissenting spies, Caleb and Joshua, would live to enter the land. The people would stay in the wilderness for 40 years and there they would die. Their children would eventually inherit what might have been theirs if only they had had the faith. Essential to understanding this passage is the fact that the report of the ten spies was utterly unfounded. Only much later in the book of Joshua, when Joshua himself sent spies, did they learn from the woman who sheltered them, Rahab, what actually happened when the inhabitants of the land heard that the Israelites were coming. I know that the Lord has given you the land, and they... Dread of you has fallen on us, and that all the inhabitants of the land melt in fear before you. As soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no courage left in any of us because of you. The spies were terrified of the Canaanites, but they entirely failed to realise that the Canaanites were terrified of them. How could they make such a profound mistake? And for this we turn to cognitive behavioural therapy and to some of the types of distorted thinking identified by Beck's student, David Burns. One is all or nothing thinking. Everything is either black or white, good or bad, easy or impossible. That was the spy's verdict on the possibility of conquest. It couldn't be done. There was no room for shading, nuance, complexity. They could have said, it'll be difficult, we'll need courage and skill, but with God's help we will prevail. But they didn't. Their thinking was a polarised either-or. Another cognitive error is negative filtering. We discount the positives as being insignificant and focus almost entirely on the negatives. That's what the spies did. They began by noting the positives, the land is good, look at its fruit. Then came the but, the long string of negatives, drowning out the good news and leaving an overwhelmingly negative impression. A third is catastrophizing, expecting disaster to strike no matter what. That is what the people did when they said, why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us die by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. That is catastrophizing. A fourth cognitive distortion is mind reading. We assume we know what other people are thinking when we're usually completely wrong because we're jumping to conclusions about them based on our feelings, not theirs. That is what the spies did when they said, we seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and so we seem to them. They actually had no way of knowing how they appeared to the people of the land, but they attributed to them mistakenly a sentiment based on their own subjective fears. A fifth cognitive error is inability to disconfirm. You reject any evidence or argument that might contradict your negative thoughts. The spies heard the counter argument of Caleb Caleb, but they dismissed it. They decided to, that any attempt would conquer that to conquer the land would fail, and they were simply not open to any other interpretation of the facts. Sixth cognitive error is emotional reasoning, letting your Feelings rather than careful deliberation dictate your thinking. A key example is the interpretation the spies placed on the fact that the cities were fortified and very large, or as Moses later put it, with walls up to the sky. They didn't stop to think that people who need high city walls to protect them might, in fact, be fearful. Had they stopped to think, they might have realized that the Canaanites were not confident, not giants, not invulnerable, but they let their emotions substitute for thought. Seventh cognitive error is blame. We accuse somebody else of being responsible for our predicament instead of accepting responsibility ourselves. That's what the people did in the wake of the spies' report. They grumbled against Moses and Aaron, as if to say, it's all your fault if only you'd let us stay in Egypt. People who blame others have already begun down the road to learned helplessness. They see themselves as powerless to change. They are the passive victims of forces beyond their control. Now, when you apply cognitive behavioral therapy to the story of the spies, then you see how that ancient event might be relevant to us here, now. You see, it's very easy to fall into these and other forms of cognitive distortion, and the result can be depression and despair, dangerous states of mind that need immediate medical or therapeutic attention. What I find profoundly moving is the therapy the Torah itself prescribes. I've pointed out elsewhere that the end of the parashah the paragraph that deals with tzitzit is actually connected to the episode of the spies by that unusual verb, latur, to look or to turn aside or to, to travel. Um, it is the verb Moses uses. He says, shlokhla, let them go and spy out the land. And later it's mentioned in the... Um, line about tzitzit, you shall see them and you'll remember all the commandments of the Lord and do them, velotaturu, and not turn aside, not follow after your own heart and your own eyes. Now, in that phrase, note this strange order of the parts of the body. Normally, we would expect it to be the other way round. As Rashi says in his commentary, the eye sees, then the heart desires. First we see and then we feel. But actually, the Torah reverses the order. It says, don't follow after your own heart and after your own eyes. It puts heart before eyes. And it is thereby anticipating the very point that cognitive behavioral therapy makes, which is that often our feelings, our heart, distorts our perception, what we think our eyes see. We see what we fear. And often what we think we see is not there at all. Hence, Roosevelt's famous words, the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Fear distorts our perception and makes us misread the evidence of our own eyes. The blue thread in the tzitzit, says the Gemara, is there to remind us of the sea, the sky, and God's throne of glory. What's more, the blue of the blue thread was in the ancient world the mark of royalty. So tzitzit was itself a form of cognitive behavioural therapy, saying don't be afraid, don't give way to your fear because God is with you. And don't give way to your emotions because you are royalty, you are children of the king. Hence the life-changing idea. Never let negative emotions Distort your perceptions. You are not a grasshopper. Those who oppose you are not giants. To see the world as it is, not as you are afraid it might be, let faith banish fear. Shabbat Shalom.